You're listening to People in Profit, a podcast that focuses on elevating humanity through business, sponsored by Conscious Capitalism Arizona. And now, let's hear from our hosts, Jeremy and Sarah. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the People and Profit podcast brought to you by Conscious Capitalism Arizona. We're your hosts, Sarah McCrarren and Jeremy Neese, and we are super excited to be talking today to Jerry Houston and Jenny McMinn, who uh, and how they are elevating humanity through their business organizations, HPI Solutions and McMinn HR. But before we dive into the conversation, We want to share just a minute about conscious capitalism. Free enterprise capitalism has served to lift more people out of poverty than any other socioeconomic system ever conceived, empowering social cooperation, human progress, and elevating humanity. Good business is the answer to many of the global issues facing mankind, and that's what we're going to dive into on the show. Conscious capitalism is a global movement with over 50 chapters across the world that is on a mission to recapture the truth that good business is about doing good for all stakeholders, creating a higher purpose for the organization that can benefit everyone. Our Arizona chapter is focused on highlighting the amazing businesses and leaders in our state who are pursuing a higher purpose and consciously creating value for all of their stakeholders. If you would like to find out more about conscious capitalism, the Arizona chapter and joining the movement, visit ccarizona.org. So on that note, let's jump right into our conversation with Jerry and Ginny. Jeremy, tell us a little bit more about our guests. Well, you know, I could I could read off their vast scripts of expertise here, but again, as you just pointed, Sarah, we love to shine the light on businesses that are sort of walking the talk, as we like to say in the conscious capitalism circles. Jerry and Jeannie are both longstanding members of our business community here, and uh, I would love to have them share. You know, Jerry, let's start with you, please. You've you've touched a lot of boxes in your career. Can you give us the uh, the highlights and and what lands you here with us today? You know, I was thinking, Jeremy, that when people talk about and introduce that way. It, it tells us that we've been around for a long time. And, uh, <laughs> How do I make that, your long story short? It's <laughs> the big issue, right? Yeah, that's right. I shaved my beard off, you know, before we came on, came on here <laughs> from Father Time. I am so astonished at the connection with conscious capitalism tenants when I look at my business path and not only my business path, but the people that I've attracted to my business over, you know, over the last almost now 30 years. Uh, that we've been around, uh, 20 of those in here in uh, Arizona. And, and so uh, when we talk about uh, stakeholder uh, orientation or we talk about a higher purpose or we talk about uh, conscious leadership and, and really the big one for me is conscious culture and because okay. culture drives the business. And when we go in and talk to organizations and see that there's issues, the first thing we begin to zero in on is culture. Because how the leadership, ownership, management of the organization feels about and reacts to their team has everything to do with how that organization then is going to present itself out to the community. So that's Could not agree more. Important. Absolutely. And and so um, and we do that, you know, we connect with with people through behavioral science. And so the whole foundation 
of HPI solutions is that we enable behavior change uh, in, in people, and that creates an opportunity for people and organizations to change. And when they change, uh, their focus improves, and when their focus improves, they become a more impactful a part of the communities that they're serving. That's fantastic. Well, given that we're the people and pro- and profit podcast, that people element is obviously front and center in the things that we're uh, excited to dig in deeper with you on. Ginny, how about yourself? Would you mind sharing just a quick rundown on your organization and what you're doing in the marketplace today? Sure. I have um, employed experience prior to this, which I left um, a dissatisfied former employee. So, <laughs> and we'll probably hear more about that as we go along. I provide uh, through my business a whole range of human resources, um, consulting, and training. Um, I sort of geek out on HR. I have to admit, it's like my thing, Um, but not because of the transactions that I can teach people how to do or do for them or the projects or whatever. It's what those mean to that organization overall. Um, I discovered HR because for economic reasons, it was the highest paying job in my hometown when I was looking. Um, So I sort of happened into it. Um, But what I discovered very quickly was that it's a field that when done well, has the biggest opportunity to have an impact on the people within the business and thence the business beyond that as any other area of business. And uh, my frustration as an employee was always about those other areas not fitting together. You know, when I uh, was researching your organization uh, before today and I looked at the four pillars and I thought, wow, these are my people. I've been frustrated because I was not able to find these people. Um, So it, it really rang true for me. Um, making things happen in a way that enables people to enjoy work. One of my big projects this year has been working on um, a um, an, a um, training platform for um, empl- employees to be able to come and on demand pick up training for first line leaders, for example, for prevention of uh, things that shouldn't happen at work. And I named that the Better Work Life Academy. And that sort of encompasses my whole uh, philosophy, philosophy about what I do, not so much the transactions, but the impact those transactions can have. Wonderful. Well, we're grateful that you put material like that out there. Thank you. So, <laughs> my pleasure. A, a quick question that jumps to mind, you know, the last um, year for sure, as we kind of roll on to the to the one year anniversary of the first shutdowns, you know, a lot of teams have been focused on how do we stay connected? How do we stay productive? Um, certainly lots of headlines for um, social unrest, lots of things for two HR minded people who are helping teams navigate these times. What are some of the sort of the, the things coming off the newswire at your particular desks? Uh, you know, what are what are you encountering right now in your businesses as you're helping people navigate these times? Well, the big the big focus for us in this first quarter of the year has been about engagement, or let's say lack thereof, 
Okay. Talk about disengagement, which I've called the new pandemic. Uh, you know, all of the, besides the pressure, the normal pressure in businesses of getting people to do what it is that we need them to do to move us forward, getting back a connection, a strong uh, emotional connection between the leaders and the, and the people on the team. There's also the issue of COVID. And COVID has wreaked havoc, needless to say. We've all, we've beat this drum to death, right? But it's, but it's true that, uh, we first we ripped everybody out of the businesses and put them at home with their children and their dogs. And we, we got to watch a dog ripping up a uh, plastic cover to a newspaper the other day while we were on a business call. You know, it's that, it's that sort of thing going on. And, and uh, and then uh, and now we're beginning to shove everybody back into the offices, right? Because now, of course, COVID is over, right? Anything, despite what you've heard, I'm absolutely sure it must be because companies are shoving everybody back into their offices now. And some of the employees are not connecting well with that. Some of the employees are resisting. They, they resisted going out, and now they're resisting coming back. And it's disengaging them because they're not connected. And the companies who are doing a hybrid of that, who are some people at home, some people at work, are struggling even more so. I just read another article this morning about that very fact that they just uh, now, how do I fit in? And how do, if I'm at home, how do I get the same FaceTime and attention from my boss that, that the person in the office is getting? And on and on it goes. So, so that's a big issue to pay attention to. Uh, and, and it is a subset of what is happening out in the world, right? It's a subset of that, of that uh, movement. So, Jenny? You know, one of the things that I've noticed, and Jerry and I have talked about this along with disengagement, um, is that the um, the stress that we put our employees under during this period of time, asking them to produce in an environment that was not built for production, but was in fact built to feed the family and, you know, take care of the pets, and as Jerry alluded, um, We've asked our employees to do an awful lot, and and most of them have come through doing a lot and and trying their very best to do exactly what we want them to do. But at the same time, they've done too little of the things that are critical to their own health and to the health of their family units and to the health of their relationship with teams. So one of the things that I started studying a few years back um, based on some personal things that had happened in my life is the whole topic of resilience and what it is that we need as individuals to um, create and maintain, you know, our resilience bank. And it's not the same for everybody, but there are some commonalities, some common things that we do and when we don't do those for the sake of serving our families, serving as a remote teacher, a remote employee, and then worrying about um, becoming infected or some of the social unrest that you alluded to, you know, all the churning and chaos that's gone on both in the employee's home and outside the employee's home 
this made it really difficult for them to top off their resilience. And I think it also feeds into this, this mention that Jerry made of disengagement. Now you want me to go and do something totally different. Now what am I going to do with my kids? Now what am I going to do with the things that we've worked out as our systems at home that keep us um, doing well and feeling well? And now, you know, we're changing that again. And we're asking employees to change that at a time when they're probably poorly equipped to do that based on a lack of ready resilience. They just have not maintained um, their emotional health. I mean, take a look at the apps now that are available, you know, Talkspace and some of the others. Our employees need help. And one of the things that I noted when I looked at the conscious leader uh, material and the conscious culture material on your website was how well that supports the fact that your leaders really get extra involved when things are not going well. They don't disappear and focus on the stockholders and the share price and that kind of stuff. The balance of your four, four tenants requires that they pay attention to those tensions in other areas that will support the business well and support the employees well, or it won't if they're not doing it, if they're not discharging their responsibilities as leaders um, in an effective way. Um, there are all kinds of little reminders, opportunities that leaders can offer employees in terms of um, giving employees the, the nudge, you know, what have you done for you today? Sounds like you had a really rough start to your morning. Why don't you take a few minutes and get out of the office and walk around, get some fresh air, you know, constant sunshine in Arizona, whatever, you know, do something for you and then come on back and start fresh. It, it doesn't cost much. You know, Jenny, what I, what stri- strikes me about that is, of course, the fresh air and the reset is is important and can make a whole difference for that person for the rest of the day. But I would bet that the bigger impact is that they were noticed. So they walked in and they're, you know, whether it's their leader or someone on their team or whoever noticed that something wasn't quite right, that their resiliency was low, that they were distracted. And instead of, even if they looked at them and were like, Ooh, you know, bad day, instead of turning the other way, Or saying, well, you know, I might have to pick up the slack, you know, for that person. They said, no, I'm going to first notice it. I'm going to recognize that it's a normal human thing that we all experience. So I'm going to normalize it. And then I'm going to give you a quick solution that is going to help, you know, again, develop some a tool for managing stress. And of course, when we talk about engagement and the productivity that, you know, comes right along with it, we're going to get um, the, the highest possible productivity out of you today because we gave you the chance to reset. Right. And, and again, more importantly, we recognized you as a human having a, a human experience. Right. So that, I, I love that, you know, and, and Jerry, I think this also, you know, we're talking about the type of leaders and conscious leadership. And when you were describing the work that you do, 
you know, one of the things that you brought in is the very first thing you said. So you're, you're all about creating, you know, let's just say high efficiency team, productive teams, you know, you know, strong teams. And yet when you come in, the first thing you look at is what, how does management feel about their team? So instead of, um, you know, what, so a lot of times I imagine and you can tell me how this works for you. People call you because they're like, I'm not getting enough out of my team. You know, come help me fix my team. Right. And so it might be a little bit of a shock to them when the very first thing you do is say, I'm going to look at your attitude and your behaviors. Cause again, they're probably like change their behaviors. And you're like, Oh no, we're starting with your behavior. So tell us more about that. Say, say it's not true. <laughs> you don't think that's what I run into out there, do you, Sarah? <laughs> Listen, uh, in, in my little book, you know, I had to get this plug in, right? In my Do little it. book that I wrote, the first book that I ever wrote, I, I just want to read the subtitle to you. Daring to be different and building a business through mutual benefit, respect, and trust. And mutual benefit, respect, and trust, as my good friend Jenny McMinn reminded me of back when I was writing this book, she was... Uh, she was my taskmaster, my English major taskmaster uh, on that project. One of the things that I believe in, I believe in it. This is this this is the one phrase that has stuck with our company for 28 years. This that phrase. Why? Everybody has to benefit in the relationship. So it isn't all about what management wants or stockholders want or even customers bless their little hearts want it isn't all about that it's about it's about mutual it's about everybody getting something sarah you said a huge word a little while ago and that word was valued valued i i need to feel valued do i matter does it make a difference whether i'm i'm here or not you know if i'm at work or not absenteeism ties into lack of feeling valued in my opinion you know, if I'm not important enough to be there, I'll stay home for whatever reason, right? So, so that's big. Another big uh, part of that is respect. I don't have to agree with everything you say, uh, but I have I have the responsibility to respect your opinion about it, even if I think it's not correct. It's not easy to do. Have a political conversation with somebody if you're on the other side of the fence. Not an easy thing to do, but it, it is, they have a right to feel the way that they feel. And then finally, the biggest word there is trust. If all of us would take a minute to think about all of our relationships in our life, what's the basic foundational requirement of the relationship? It's trust. Trust, trust, trust. We have to be able to, uh, to be able to believe what the other person is telling us. And when you don't have a good, open, collaborative relationship in your organization, that doesn't exist because people might be afraid to bring something to the boss because the boss is not going to like it (laughs) or believe it or whatever, right? And that breaks down the whole flow of what we try to try to get accomplished. And Jenny's right, you know, you have to be resilient about that because we're not there yet. As a as a business community, we haven't arrived yet to that place, right? Not completely. Well, and you know, when you talk about valued and and respect and certainly trust, um, it it makes me think about what Ginny just said too about you know with all of the change and what the workplace looks like, 
and all and and all of the the stress that comes along with this uncertainty of not just in our work life but in our home lives, our health, the health of our families. But you know, you know, Jenny, you pointed out that one of the main things on people's minds is now how do I fit in, right? And so, and I would guess that is something that is is missed like probably a hundred percent of the time throughout all this change. We're figuring out, you know, how to now do work, but then saying, but but forgetting how do people now fit in and that making sure they see and feel how they now fit in is, is so crucial. So I don't know if you have anything more to say about that. Well, I think it's an important part of, of recognizing that these are human beings doing business rather than, you know, mechanical parts and, and electronic beings. I mean, people are going to have feelings about how they are treated in work how they enter and exit work, whether or not they feel like they're an important part of work. And, you know, we know from uh, studies, gosh, they've been doing the same study for, I think, 80 years now, once a decade, they do this study that says, you know, what keeps you motivated at work? What keeps you in the same job? What is that? And supervisors typically will answer money, careful um, correction, you know, careful discipline, um, and a chance for promotion. And employees for the last 80 years have been telling us loud and clear, it's about recognition for the work that I do well for you. And until you get that, and until you make that a real part of how you interact with me, um, we're always going to be a little bit mismatched in terms of you know, how I look at work, how I look at you as my leader, how I feel about um, the level of value, to go back, Sarah, to your term, how valued do I actually feel here? And, you know, there's there's now, um, you know, a, a trend to have reboarding as people are coming back into a different configuration at work. You know, they're they're looking at very consciously who will be in the office at the same time, who will be out of the office at the same time, switching that up so that everybody has a chance to have a relationship with others in the group. How are we going to act? How are we going to work through this together? Recognizing that the chaos is still outside the workplace door, um, chaos probably a plenty still at home. And um, not to mention the health considerations and the rest of it. So, how, yeah, how am I going to fit in? Always important for somebody to know. They may know their job title and what their job requires them to do. But then how do I fit in and how do I make an impact here? And, you know, how do I feel good about what I'm doing here? I, I quit any number of jobs before starting my own business because they were not satisfying. You know, they hired me with a degree or two in some cases, um, told me during the interview process that my responsibility would be, you know, X, Y, and Z, and then um, gave me a very uh, literal job to do with very little contact with my supervisor, the uh, leadership team, the C-suite, and so forth. Well, you know, the 
I think if I go back to my first experience in HR, I got the job, took the job because of the money it offered, but I soon realized that it was a place I could have impact. Well, if you hire me and I can't have impact, you've just frustrated the daylights out of me and I'm not going to be long in your environment. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. People have to, we have to not only match what they're looking for, but also the needs that they have. And Jerry's expert at doing this with the the matches to the motivators and and the things that people are looking for in their in their positions and fitting those things together so that there's a good match. But yeah, so important. So important. I have a little example of, of that and Ginny will be tired. She'll be tired of hearing right Jerry. Ginny's gonna be tired of hearing this because I've been harping on this. I can't help myself. Uh, because I've met this young, wonderful young woman, this professional woman out on the East Coast who sought us out. She is a superstar. She's director level in her organization. She has an incredible background. She's got a great style and delivery of information. She's a great communicator. I mean, you're sitting there in awe of her when you're talking. You're going, "This is this is really a superstar." So why is she calling me? What's going on? And we ran one of the things that we do where we, we use analytics to find out about people. And so we ran a stress quotient report for her. Now, I wish I could show it to you, but it is think of a spider graph and a perfect spider graph. If you, if you have reasonable levels of stress is going to have a big outline on it in blue. And in the center, it's going to have maybe a red dot. The red drop dot is the stress. Hers is the exact opposite. She landed in a category called severe stress in almost every category in that assessment. She doesn't know this yet. She hasn't been debriefed yet by us. She will be tomorrow, actually, debriefed. So she doesn't, she's not aware of this. She's working from home because of COVID. Her corporate center is in a, in a city far away. She has management who preaches to her that this, think of this as if your business, you own it and you, you run it, you make decisions and you drive the objectives that we're trying to reach and you do it. And then they micromanage her to death. Do you think that she feels valued, trusted, respected? Is there any mutual benefit happening? She's so disengaged that I think it's too late, to be honest. I think it's too late. I think they're going to lose her. What a shame when you think of the talent this person brings to that organization. It's astonishing, right? And and this is not an isolated situation. This is going on all over the place, right? Because we're not getting that idea that we're all here. Obviously, you know, I can I can tell by looking at at the faces, you know, that we were all we're agreeing with this. So it's like singing to the choir, right? So <laughs> that's what we're doing. But but we all know it's true. And and if we can get uh, business owners and leaders to stop and think a minute about the human dynamics part of, you know, Jenny talked about motivators. So what motivates me into action? What am I passionate about? So, you know, my two highest scores altruism. So I just love helping other people. And 
and economic return on investment, right? Because without profit, with that poor little word's not getting any play here this morning, <laughs> that word profit, without profit, there is no business. It doesn't matter how wonderful we all are. <laughs> We're all right. essentially unemployed. Nobody told us yet, right? That's where we are. So we really need to think about that and think about, I, I used to say when I was in private industry and I was kind of grinning to myself when Ginny was talking about these wonderful jobs she had been in. I was in eight companies in 24 years before I started this company. Uh, and I was high level most of the time. I went into management when I was 24 years old. So I, I've been in management for a long time. And it was the same old, same old, same old. You know, and I'd get in there and help to turn the place around and we'd get the people going and everybody working together and the owners would do just really dumb things like layoffs and forcing a union into the company and because they couldn't listen and talk to their employees. You know, this could go on for weeks like a confessional. But but you get the idea though, right? That that's that's and why did I leave and open my own practice? You know, enough was enough. And I wanted to go help other companies change that. And we have, you know, and we have thousands of companies. So, so that's the good news. But there's so many other companies out there. The other word I was thinking about, Jenny, was emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's another buzzword, right? It's all the, it's all the rage at the moment, right? But what is it? And how can a leader use improved emotional intelligence so they get it? Because we make all of our decisions with emotions, not some of them, all of them, because we feel some way, right? Back to my word, uh, Sarah, we feel some way about what we're doing, good or not good, right? Exactly. I mean, you mentioned earlier about, you know, what's the emotional connection between the leaders and their team? And, you know, we, you know, in, in conscious capitalism and, you know, and talking about and, and, you know, you, you unconscious conscious capitalists is the term that we often use. Uh, you know, we talk about bringing humanity in, into business and recognizing, you know, that it's okay to, you know, recognize that we're emotions and humans, blah, blah, blah. But whether we are there or not, we have an emotional connection. It's just a matter. And so this now we're talking about uh, emotional intelligence, like on an organizational level. Right. So there is an emotional connection. And if you recognize there's an emotional connection, then you can use that for the benefit of the business and the teams. But when you don't recognize it, it's still there. And it may be, you know, more of like, a, you know, a cancer or something that's eating at it because it's there. Like you said, they're making decisions based on an emotion. But do you know it? And is your emotional connection something that's uh, driving, you know, growth and creativity or, or is it what's, you know, eating you alive? Good, good question. Good question. Is it eating you alive? And then you become very, very uh, discouraged with what's going on in your environment. And you think moving on to a different company is going to change all that. Mm-hmm. Maybe yes, maybe no. <laughs> right. You know. Um, you know, I think it, it all circles are into the HR because having also um, ha- a past life in, in, you know, large corporations and in different organizations, um, 
I remember, so I have a finance background and I think about, you know, who are the, who are the senior leadership team and, and get together and, and, and who has a say. And, and certainly, you know, uh, Jerry, with your background in operations, I, I remember there was this hierarchy, right? Operations was kind of at the top. And then finance was right there. And then maybe you have your engineers and, you know, that sort of thing. And the HR people were on the team, but I remember them just really not getting a lot of respect. Their job was to CYA only, make sure our employees can't sue us. And that was the role of HR. But that's changing and evolving. And clearly, you know, you know, and I'll, so Jenny, I'd like for you to tell us a little bit more about your experience and how it's evolving, but clearly that's exactly why you made your change as well, Jerry. You know, you were, you were at the top of the food chain from a management management operations perspective. And yet you're like, but every time I do something, it's undone because we're not valuing what human resources is. And we're not asking them to, to, fulfill the purpose that they could. So Jenny, tell us a little bit more about how you've experienced that evolution. And, and do we have a long way to go still? Um, that depends on the organization. Um, there is hope on the horizon uh, from my perspective. But, you know, through the years, um, yeah, I, I um, lo- wanted to have an impact. I, I had lots to offer and wanted to bring those things to an employer. And like you said, you know, there was not a lot of room for that. It was here, do the transactional stuff, get people on the payroll, off the payroll, make sure we pay them on time as they're leaving, you know, all that transactional stuff, which is transactional, yes, and it keeps us out of trouble, yes, but it also has the potential to create an environment that frees people up to do other much more important things. If we do the HR stuff right, you know, and it becomes routine and everybody knows how to do it and we all keep track and, and make sure it happens, it frees up your HR team to do a lot more creative things. And they, in turn, can help your leadership team do more and relate more effectively with employees and so forth. And, you know, I've, I've found more satisfaction in um working with companies, client companies since I've had my own business, because if companies commit to work with me and they commit the money to work with me, then many of them follow through. Whereas, you know, talk was cheap in corporate America, <laughs> frankly. And, you know, I would be hired with this, you know, this very um, elaborate hiring in process. And then, you know, I had one job where I got there the first day and my boss wasn't there. Um, His secretary did not seem to know that I was coming. When I got to my office, there were four large black binders on my desk with a note from my boss saying, learn everything here. You'll be tested before you're considered oriented. Wow. Welcome to, and I'm going to leave the name of the company out so that it doesn't get painful for anybody. but. You know, that kind of stuff used to happen a lot. It's like, now we've got her on board. She's going to keep us out of trouble. And, you know, when it comes to doing things that are effectively with the mission and with each other and with their leadership team and, you know, those four interconnected parts that you have in your 
employers, it's like that wasn't too important. Now, nowadays, it's more important to more companies than it once was. You know, there are still the chaotic and toxic kind of companies out there. Fortunately, I think employees today um, feel that they're more readily able to leave those organizations and for a different situation to work in. And some of those organizations will listen to us. You know, that is the real satisfaction that Jerry and I get in working together as alliance partners is, you know, when we come across an organization that has some pain points in many aspects of the business, when they listen and work with us and, you know, follow suggestions and train their leaders and so forth, they can have a much different organization that they're part of that's greased to my wheels, as my Southern grandmother used to say, because that is so much satisfaction to know that you really made a difference in the way that those people will experience work from now on, whether it's the executives who were frustrated or the employees who were frustrated. The one thing I think that I would really like to see, and this is something Jerry and I work toward a lot, is to see organizations really put the effort into doing a good job of hiring. You know, they may think that hiring people is a transaction. You know, it's like we hire somebody, they don't work out, it's an employment at will state, they're gone. You know, they, they see that as sort of a circular thing. And, you know, the, what we work really hard at is making a good match, testing that out before the person goes to work for that organization in a couple of different ways, and then trying to make sure we're getting the right person into the right culture and with the right leadership and that they'll stay, that they will invest in having them stay by continuing to develop them as employees and that they will, um, that they will do the things that are necessary for that employee to feel that mutual benefit, respect, and trust that Jared talks about in his book, or to feel valued so that they stay and make a contribution. We see more companies doing that today, but a lot of them still are in that place where they talk a good talk, but when it comes to putting the time and energy and the money up against making that real, you know, they they tend to fall fall short of what we would like for them to do. And, you know, of course, the word that's behind all of what you're listening to is strategy. What great HR people do, and I've known great HR people in my career, and I've known not so great personnel managers in my career, those two things. Ginny is very strategic. So, and I'll give you an example of how strategic. So I have one of my favorite, favorite clients of the construction company up in Northern California. Just love these guys. Uh, they are, they are so pro employee. They get the whole conscious capitalism thing way before we came along. So they've been really a pleasure to work with. But that, and when I'm successful with them, it's because they don't call me anymore. They call Jenny. So the CEO of this company regularly, it's kind of annoying, regularly calls Ginny for advice on a whole range of things, just all kinds of things. Some of them have nothing to do with HR because Ginny is strategic. And so if whoever you're connected to in your business, 
in terms of human resource management, human resource development, be sure you're connecting with somebody that's strategic because that's how that's how you turn this people power into profit. Because where does the profit come from? It comes from people. <laughs> the people delivering the service, doing the work. Right? We've all been on the phone with somebody that really doesn't give a flying fig about whether they help you or not. <laughs> and when they do, you're so overwhelmingly amazed that they actually, I actually had somebody from the state of Arizona help me. I shouldn't pick on the state of Arizona. They have a <laughs> lot of great employees. Two of them work in my business now. So I love them, right? But sometimes we get into a bureaucracy and we forget about what our mission is. Our mission is to serve our clients, value our clients. They deserve mutual benefit, respect, and trust also, right? And so it's really important that we do that. And uh, and when I got helped the other day after my umpteenth call, you know, it, it was a big deal to me. And I made a big deal out of it. I made sure a review went in, <laughs> and I was going to make a big deal out of it. Why? Because I want to value the person so the next customer they come along with they they apply the same idea, the same concept of, you know, valuing. So you can create a culture in your own business, but you can create a culture around you as well with with other people, right? No yeah. question. So I'm I'm curious to kind of dig on that a little bit more. Absolutely, it starts at a high level strategy. You know, I see I see great opportunity and I see great obstacles simultaneously right now when I look at business operators and key influencers showing up every day to the workplace. Uh, on one hand, you know, I think one of the words that the business community has become close to or, or sayings is intellectual humility, because things we thought we knew last year have been completely turned upside down. We never thought we could function for a year with our team 80% remote. We never thought we could pivot in three months and chase new revenue streams, right? So on the one hand, we've got, we talk about resilience. Many of our organizations are flying high on their demonstrable resilience track record over the last year. Look what we've been able to endure and still have the lights on. And then at the same time, there's so much that you can take that open-mindedness and say, well, great. Maybe we don't need to expand to that office. Maybe we can serve that different market segment that we've been nibbling around the edges for. So uh, what I lead to is there's so much that business leaders are being confronted with right now. And then we talk about as we sort of are re-onboarding our team to be aware of they are resilience drained. They are um, actively coming in the door, or potentially disengaged just because it's feeling a little foreign. So what are some simple tools, techniques that people can bring to the office on a daily basis as they're started to sort of re-amalgamate their teams and, and take a look at their business with the fresh eyes of everything they learned about themselves last year? How do they translate that into good outcomes? So I, I want to tell another quick story about another client. I love I love our clients. I got to tell you that you know, they inspire me. So this is not a real big company, maybe 80, 90 employee company. And they had to shut down and they had to move everybody out of the office. Uh, they are an engineering company. So when I say move their technology home, 
I'm not talking about a laptop here. <laughs> I'm talking about CAD equipment, all kinds of things. Right? So, but they get, they pull it off, they get it done. People are not feeling good. They're worried. They're concerned about what's going to happen to their business. And so what does the, what does the CEO do? He decides he's going to proclaim Tuesday as Taco Tuesday. Now we, that's an overused idea, but okay, give him a break, right? So, so he does. And he could have just had Uber or somebody deliver to all the, his employees' homes these, these tacos. That is not what he did. He rented a chicken suit and he put a chicken suit on <laughs> and he went to their homes. Can you imagine? the lightness, the lightheartedness that he created in an engineering company. Now, no offense right. against engineers, but they can be a little bit of a dry bunch, right? Yeah, Sarah said, right? They can, you know, I mean, they're about facts and figures and data and all of that. So, so you know, it was just an amazing thing. And he changed the whole tempo of what was going on. That's culture. <laughs> That's leadership. So now when he asks them to do something that's impossible, as you point out, or different from the way they've been operating, they do that. And guess what? They have a two-year backlog of work. Wow. Their biggest problem is finding qualified people. <laughs> you know, that's their reward as a group for what they're, what they're doing. And that's a great example. It's the little things that can be so galvanizing. Absolutely. No, just a, another quick suggestion. Uh, instead of going back into the office and settling back into the same routines, I would consciously break that. I, I would set up some different kind of start to the day, um, some different way that we're going to communicate with each other and and get employee input on that. You know, how do you want to do this? I mean, we've gotten through the world's worst year plus with all the pressures we've had and all the other things going on outside of work. And, you know, we still got some pretty incredible things done, all things considered. And so maybe we can do something different here instead of just falling back into line with our pre-pandemic kinds of approaches to things. Because I'm frankly um doubtful that business is gonna go back to being what it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, I think you know the example you gave Jeremy in terms of companies being able to accomplish things or needing to accomplish things and focusing on that and getting that job done, you know, to maintain an income stream while the routine income streams kind of go away, you know, all those things that kind of tossed us up. Hey, you know, if we can soldier through that, we can make it through a lot of stuff. And so I would just start with a whole different kind of, of approach to starting the day. You know, uh, I've always been a big believer in um, daily meetings, not long daily meetings, preferably standing or walking. Um, get everybody on the same page, find out if ever, anybody's got obstacles that they're going to fight with during the day. You know, uh, somebody got a new idea on how we can handle that obstacle. What, you know, let's, it, it could be, um, if we do it right, if we don't just settle back into this is my space, you go over there in your space. You know, right, right. If we don't settle for that, 
we have an opportunity to really grow as a result of what employees have been through, what leaders have been through. We have a, a real opportunity to do things very, very differently going forward. And oh, by the way, did we finally learn the lesson that flexibility about workplace is one of the things that we can accommodate in business? You know, I, years ago, I got a, an award from the the uh, Women's Bureau, the Department of Labor, for working with local companies. And I actually set up a little business along the same lines of matching people to flexible opportunities at work. You know, we were able to engage people in the workforce that had not been in the workforce in years because they were parenting or they were caring for elder parents or whatever it was they were doing. And we just took a little different look at, at what their workplace and their time at work and their productivity results had to look like. You know, maybe that's one of a, the big changes that could happen at work um, as a result of what we've all been through over the last year, too. And, and you know, it's funny because that's exactly when you were talking about reboarding, uh, that's kind of exactly where my my mind went, because People are, are coming back and whatever that looks like, but it, there's, it seems unrealistic that things are, everyone's going to come back the same way, right? So people are, you know, we may have all started in the same expectation for what, a work, what the workplace was and what the workday was, but then once we moved, everyone had to adjust. And as they're coming back, everybody's situations are different. And so who can come back to what capacity on premise at home, you know, whatever is, it has to be different. And if we, so it seems like it would be important to recognize that because otherwise uh, if it, it comes back and it's different. And I know because I've had the conversation with Jerry that he has, um, you know, kids at home. One of them is, is back at school, but one of them is still homeschooling. And so he's, you know, he's only in the office, you know, two hours a day where Jenny, you know, you, uh, your kids are already off in college or, or you're, or you're, you've never had children or whatever. And you decide to come back full time. You know, how do we make sure that, you know, you're not resentful that you're there all the time and had to come back fully while Jerry is only there a couple hours. And it kind of looks like you're doing all of Jerry's work. And especially, you just said sort of a key thing, we've already proven that we can accommodate flexibility. We've proven it. So, so you know, how do we've got to take all that into account, right? I mean, are you consulting with people on, on, on how to come back and, and those realities? You know, how, how about this? I said, I said to a client the other day, I said, why don't you ask your people what they think? Why don't you just like get them? Get the, at least the leadership group, or if you could get a bigger room, everybody, <laughs> get them in, socially distance, of course, keep your masks on, right? But but what if you just sat down and say, what what have you learned about work from home? What, what has been good about that? What has not been so good about that? What about reboarding? What's been good about that? What's not good about that? You might learn some things or see a perspective that's totally different than what you had in your brain, right? Because why are companies either not bringing people back or are the not bringing back? A lot of companies are saying, hey, I can save some rent money. I don't have to leave so much space. I can let them job share. I'll cut payroll. 
right? So what, what about sitting down with the very people who are affected by all of this that's going on and ask them, would, would they, Sarah, feel more valued if you sat down and, and really listened to? Don't get on, don't start texting, <laughs> you know, yet pay attention to what they're saying to you and see what they think. See what they think. That's important. And Sarah, when you indicated that it's going to be different for everybody, not just because of their current circumstances, but I can remember the moaning and groaning that we heard family, much less, you know, clients when they were first sent home. How am I supposed to work in this chaos? I've got two cats, a dog, three kids, what, you know, in the space that we never all share all day long. And the kids are supposed to be going to school on the computers. And where are the computers? Oh, parents, go get computers. I mean, it was just this, you know, this big upheaval. We also had people who um, had very little going on at home, but were very social. And so they're feeling totally distanced from the company, their coworkers, and so forth. You might find that some people coming back would say, I don't care whether Jim is here two hours a day or not. I'm going to be here because I don't want to be at home. I learned something about myself and, oh, I wouldn't mind leaving early on Friday. But for the most part, I'd like to work around other people and interact with other people most of the day. You know, so, yeah, it's going to be very different. Very different. And we know some people work flexibly and they take responsibility and accountability for for what the work they're supposed to turn out you know they do that very well so you know maybe there are some experiments that need to be had not only the data gathering that jerry was talking about but try some experiments in terms of work you know work agreements that you know john does this jim does that karen does this other thing and it all works because we know it's going to work and we support each other. Yeah, in general, I think it's great advice to just remain open minded. I think there's going to be some um, temptation to, ah, finally, it can go back to what I once remembered and, you know, longed for where, you know, the, the world has moved forward. And so to just right. blindly carry what once was comfortable and assume it will be the right formula uh, for where we're going forward now. Would, would might be convenient, but would probably uh, have some negative outcomes that can just stay open-minded and stay communicative and be intentional with what we're doing. Uh, I think that can go a long way as people are re-emerging. Yeah. I think so too, Jeremy. I, I, change has happened. So we might just as well acknowledge that and see where we go from here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, uh, and, and again, if if you're talk, really talking to your people and then you experiment with something and it doesn't work so well, and you come back and you say, okay, that didn't work so well. <laughs> Plus, what else can we do? You know, what else? First of all, it's a lot easier load for a leader to carry because you have to carry it by himself That's or herself, right? I mean, true. it's so much easier. So why don't we, why doesn't that kind of like click for us sometimes? We we think I got to do it all myself. In my book, I have a chapter and it's called Saddle Up Partners because my whole business is built on partnering. And I've been partnering for 28 years with people. And I just, I love my partners. I'm very open and honest about it. I just think they're 
the best bunch of people I've ever known in my life. They all have special skills. They all uh, think differently, care differently. They're very independent. I mean, really independent. So it's like it's like you know herding cats, you know. But but it's okay because the outcome of that is this kind of thinking, Jeremy, that you were talking about. It's this. Wow, maybe we could do this a different way. We could spin this in a different direction, and it could still work. If you would have asked me ten years ago, if you would have said you guys are going to do all of your training and development online. Now I'm not young. In my seventies, not the most tech friendly guy in the world, and we're going to do all of our training. I, I'm an up in front of the room trainer most of my adult life. We did 100% of our training online last year, and it worked. And in some ways, it worked better <laughs> than live. I don't know why that is exactly. I'm not challenging it. <laughs> it's working. Yeah. You know, people are getting getting what they need to get in their movie, just like we're doing this. The last time I was on, on uh, Sirius Radio, I was in the studio sitting next to the person. Well, that's right. not the way we're doing it today. But it's still working, right? That no idea. question. Well, as often happens, we uh, we burn through an hour faster than we can even conceive. Uh, is there any parting things you uh, would like to share um, without risking going down too far another rabbit hole as much as we'd like to? Uh, any, any parting comments, Jerry, Jenny? I was just going to comment to the fact that I'm really glad that um, we that I've had this introduction to conscious capitalism and been able to see the tremendous alignment that there is uh, between the way I've evolved and, and the way I think and feel about work and the fact that there's a whole group of people out there who are, you know, on that same, generally on that same page. I, I just think that's wonderful. And I think it bodes well for, uh, business in the future, frankly. Let's hope so. Absolutely. Diane Janowski has been uh, thumping on that drum with me for some time. And <laughs> and so I'm really glad that she was persistent because I'm really glad to have been here too. And I, I love the concepts, the ideas, and the terminology that you're using uh, that it, it, it should be conscious. And that's, I think, what we in the consulting industry need to do is to bring it up to that conscious level with our clients even more. That's fantastic. Well, we thank you both so much for making time. Um, we encourage anybody to go to the website for the replay of this and to see um, any of the treasures of information that lead on there, including joining up for membership for anybody who wants to be part of this community. We uh, welcome everyone with open arms if you view the world with the same way. So www.ccarizona.org is that website. Uh, again, Jenny, Jerry, thank you so very much. Sarah, pleasure as I, always. Yeah, of course. And I think it's very important. I have one last thing to say. We didn't give the proper plug to the book because we gave the subtitle, but not the title. So mm. Gary Houston's new book, The Eccentric Entrepreneur, 
it, you know, was uh, came out last October, so hot off the presses relatively. And if you aren't dying to read this book after this interview, well, then listen again because you missed it. Because uh, I know it was great. I, I, you know, I just have to also express gratitude and how you know, I just love hearing how much, especially Jerry, how many times did you say you love your people? It's great to hear it. And it was uh, really appreciated the time with both of you. So thank you. Thank you for listening to People in Profit, where we showcase the businesses that are elevating humanity through their work right here in Arizona. Learn more about us at ccarizona.org.